Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome on LPGA Commissioner Mike Wan. Mike and I discuss a bevy of topics, including the growth of the LPGA Tour, kind of what's ahead in 2019 and further into the future, ratings and how big of a deal the Olympics was for the LPGA, and uh, much more. If you guys enjoy the podcast, uh, best way to show your support is by rating and reviewing our podcast in the app store. It helps out a bunch, uh, attracts new listeners, and it's much appreciative. So if you haven't yet, please rate and review our, uh, our podcast in the app store. Thanks, and without further ado, here is Mike Juan. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. You had only one fruit the rest of your life. What would it be? Oh, it probably wouldn't be fruit. Um, it's it's a good question though. <laughs> it tells you a lot about somebody. Orange, orange, because it would uh, because I have a patience problem and uh-huh. just the peeling would be slow me down. <laughs> so I need I need any kind of food that requires some sort of prep effort. It just slows me down from just eating fast. That's fascinating. I I it's like the biggest deterrent. I love oranges, but I I just can't stand peeling. I, I have to have it. It's just uh, I have a thing on my hanging on my computer right now that just says patience and just before you stop typing reply just you know digest for a minute so i may have to build in my own defense mechanisms it's amazing like if you wait 24 Isn't it hours amazing? i know it's, it's like you're a different person right <laughs> yeah, if i could have the reply all turned off on my computer i would but i don't know how to do that yeah my problem i then start forgetting about it and then it, you know if i it's not <laughs> top of mind it's, right it's tomorrow gone. it's like the fifth highest priority yeah so you got in golf, uh, you were caddying at Crest Creek and then turned into a grounds crew member. So fast, after college, jobs outside of golf, and then you had, you know, you you were at Procter & Gamble, Bright Smile, Mission Hockey, but also intertwined, you had Wilson and TaylorMade. Yep. So now you take, you take the job as commissioner of LPGA. What do you think, how do you feel like your work outside of golf helped, helps you in golf? Yeah, I, th- I don't think you can be great in golf if all you've ever experienced in golf. I mean, it's just like anything else. You're going to apply as a father. You apply lessons you remembered as a kid. You know the things that worked and the things that doesn't it didn't. And the same is true in the, in the commissioner role. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still positioning a brand like I figured out at Procter and Gamble. You're still managing a budget where you know I learned other places and all the other companies I've been a part of. We've taken brands global. So, uh, you know, going global was something the LPGA was right in the middle of when I got here. So having, I was talking about global as like going through a tunnel, having been through the tunnel before made it a little bit easier to navigate in the dark. Usually when you, when you're going through a tunnel, the first, you know, hundred yards is dark and everything in your body says, turn back, go back to what you know. The same is true when you're taking a brand global, you, you get dark for a while. When I joined the LPGA, in 2010, it was pretty dark in terms of the global transition, but I'd seen the other side of the of the tunnel. I knew it was okay, and it was it was a comfortable place for me to say, uh, 
trust us. We, we know where this is heading. doesn't mean it's going to be easy for the next couple of years, but it was, um, I had less of an urge to turn back, I think, than the rest. What's the toughest thing about being a global worldwide tour? Uh, you know, beyond the physical challenge, I mean, because it's it's just tough on your body. It's tough on the tour players, caddies, and the commissioner's body. I mean, we're we're literally traveling all over the world in a bunch of different time zones, and that may look glamorous to the outside, but trust me when I tell you, there's nothing glamorous about that on the inside. Um, the toughest thing is you um, you can't get comfortable in how you do business because how you do business in Boston is not the same in how you do business in Thailand, and how you do business in Thailand has nothing to do with how you do business in Korea. And just because you figured out Korea doesn't mean you figured out Australia. So you um, you have to remain. You have to be in a learning curve all the time, and you have to understand that the check writer is the is the leader of the business, not the commissioner. And so um, you know that that took me a little bit of a while to figure out too. But it's um, I think the hardest part is just knowing that um, there is no model, there's no formula. People tell me how do you sell the LPGA? It's no, there's no answer to that. The answer is depending on who's sitting across from me and what they're looking to do. So it's, um, I don't think you ever really get comfortable and you never really feel like you figured out. It's kind of like golf, right? You never, mm -hmm. just when you think you figured out, you have the worst three months of your life. And same is true as commissioner. Yeah, yeah it's like a, it's a, the, the, the swing you have one day is never the same as the next swing. And <laughs> as I, soon as you tell somebody you're a really good chipper, you go through the greatest yip period of your life. And so it's, uh, you know, the LPJ is similar that you don't really master this. You have to stay in a learning mode. I was reading a ESPN.com article that you were quoted in it said we have to be just like our athletes who in the off season will make major changes to their swing diet workouts in an effort to gain more yardage or hit more greens and regulation we have to be willing to do the same thing so when we when you take some chances some are going to work out and some aren't but our goal can't be to be conflict free free uh, because if you're going to be conflict free you don't take any chances curious since since becoming the commissioner, what are some risks or chances that you've taken that have paid off and maybe one that didn't work out as well as you hope? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, going back to the first part of your question there, I mean, when I joined, I didn't expect to see what I'd see, which is players in the top 10 of the world rankings. I mean, the Rolex world top 10 would tell me about the new coach they got in in the offseason. They're going to break down their swing, and they're trying to get seven yards longer. I'm like, seven yards longer? You're going to do all that for seven yards? Well, commission, if I can be hitting eight iron in versus seven, and my closest to the pin, they knew all the facts, you know, where I could be. And I used to think, these 20-year-old kids have the guts to change their whole you know, their whole life and do it publicly because they all get worse before they get better. In fact, they tell you they're going to get worse before they get better, and they tell you that it's going to happen on TV. Um, but they realize if they don't do it, they can't take their game to the next level. I can't tell you know, how many times has Tiger rebuilt his swing. Um, and I remember thinking I was flying back. I think I was flying back from Carlsbad. I remember that plane and we were having a debate. You know, I was online on Wi-Fi in the air having a debate with some of the folks about whether or not this would work or this wouldn't work. And I remember just shooting an email to somebody saying, our players wouldn't stress over this. They'd see the outcome. And they know that if this one doesn't work, they'll try it another way. But they're getting to seven yards longer. They do and they figure it out. And um, we got to have the, we got to be the same, we have to have the same guts and belief and faith and, and unhappiness with status quo that they do. And I've told players many times when we've made mistakes, I'm going to keep making them because you're going to keep making them. You got to give me the same freedom you give yourself to, to, to break down my swing, try it a different way. They won't all work. Um, I remember the first time I suggested we play pro-ams at nine and nine, where you play nine holes and you leave. Another player comes in and she plays with you on the back nine. I had played in a lot of pro-ams with a lot of sponsors. And I kind of felt like by the 13th or 14th hole, I'd said everything I needed to say to that player. And we learned that 
my brother and her brother went to the same school or whatever. But it was really exciting on that first tee when you're meeting for the first time. So we started doing nine hole and nine hole programs. Turned out to be great. PGA Tour has adopted it now. You know, they do it too. But when we first started doing it, everyone kind of looked at us. We were crazy. We introduced a tournament where we weren't going to play for a purse called the Founders Cup. And the whole idea was to remember that we got to pay it forward. That may not have been my greatest idea, but it's turned into a really great tournament with a really great, you know, attitude. When we introduced the UL International Crown, remember one media writer said, why do you feel like you have to present a whole different format to golf? Like there's already a format. Just do the President's Cup. Just be the Women's President's Cup. And I remember thinking, you know, that's, God, I better, I hope I never fall for that, that whole easy way out thing. So, um, and all of those examples I just gave you didn't work when we started and did work later. That's part of breaking down your swing. You got to know it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I, I use this analogy with golf courses all the time. Thing, my pet peeve is municipalities that look down the street at the golf course down the street and say, oh, it works for them. We're going to do that. And right. it's, it's fascinating, like, you know, the uh, UL crown's perfect example. Like, why don't you just do what the PGA Tour does? Well, like, we aren't the PGA Tour. We're right. going to do what we do. And in the end of the day, like, now I I personally think, you know, the President's Cup, they should do something like the UL crown <laughs> instead. Because, you know, the President's Cup, it will always be the the younger brother of, of the Ryder Cup. Well, as I always say, I don't know who developed the President's Cup, but it was probably an American because it's America versus rest of world. I always said, if you asked an American to play on team rest of world, they'd probably say no. Like, you don't even know what color to wear. What's, what anthem are we going to sing? What, what, what do I paint on my face? Like our players, when they put their flag on their face, it is a game changer. And so when you see Team Thailand walk out of the locker room and they got the Thai flag on and they got Thai colored ribbons in their hair and, and the national anthem gets played when they walk into the first tee, it is, I see grown athletes who are the best in the world shake and get nervous. And I love that because that's what we'd feel like on the first team most of the time. And so, you know, I always say that, you know, playing America versus rest of the world doesn't make sense in women's golf today. Mm -hmm. Probably won't make sense long-term in, in men's golf, but right now it probably still does. But in women's golf, it, when you've got players coming from all over the world, when top 15 in the Rolex world rankings come from 10 different countries, it just doesn't make sense to try to, to create a rest of world team. And we didn't get everything right about UL International Crown, and I'm sure we'll make changes as the years go on, but it was... Um, it was our goal to try to create something different for golf, more customized to who we are. I know in talking to some people that one of the biggest problems of the international team and the President's Cup is like they're all from different countries. They're all they a lot of different languages in there and they, they have a lot of trouble bonding as a team versus you know, if you're playing for your country, you know all the all the all the players from your country because you grew up playing against them or you grew up idolizing them. And there's so much more cohesiveness and so much more, you know, feeling of a team. You know, it's always easy for America to bond together as a team because, like, you know, it's America. Just start chanting USA. Yeah, yeah we did. We even did. We decided to not have coaches and captains. We wanted mm -hmm. to get the four players together and let them decide who they're playing with today and if they want to shake it up tomorrow. We have uh, hasn't happened yet in the UL Crown, but. Part of the rules of the UL International Crown is at the end of Sunday, you could have more than two teams tied for the lead. You could have three different teams tied for the lead. If that happens, the teams have 15 minutes to go back to their to their uh, uh, their country room. And after 15 minutes, they have to come back and hand us on an envelope the name of one player who will play sudden death for their country. I said, there's one of these times this is going to happen. Imagine how cool it is that there go the teams. They got no coaches, no captains, and they got to walk out and choose one of them to play sudden death for the whole thing. And it it's just, to me, it's fun because it creates leadership opportunities and differences and they like i said there's no one uh, 
there's no one to blame. It's the four of them in a room and they make all the decisions for whatever team they represent. You uh, you got to get video of that. Right? <laughs> yes. you know, you I'm not my, sure they, would, they bug, want video of gotta, that. You got to bug the team room. <laughs> <Right. laughs> that seems sponsorable somehow if I think about that long enough. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big ideas guy. What's, a, what's an idea that you just love to implement that maybe the world of golf isn't ready for? Um, I, I, there's a lot of ideas I think the world isn't right for, but I'd, um, I'd like to see six or nine hole match play. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd call it like the speed nine and, you know, you'd probably play two or three matches a day. Um, but to me, match play gets really interesting on the 10th tee. Um, it would be incredible if, it, if the 10th tee was the first tee. If, if you lose the first hole of a nine hole match, yeah. it's game on. So hard. And, um, and I think it'd be really cool to, um, you know, to find the right golf course that might have 27 or 36 holes where you'd play these speed nines. Um, and it would be, um, you know, it'd be a little bit more like we do today. I think the other, the other thing that uh, I think the world is ready for, we just got to figure out dates and everything else is, is playing the PGA tour and the LPGA together. Whether that means we're all playing our own ball on the two different leaderboards, but I think it'd be pretty big cool to see uh, Bubba Watson and Lexi Thompson as a team. And he's been down reading her putt and she's suggesting he can hit his driver over that corner. And, and, you know, they're paired up against, you know, Jude Tonegarn and, and, um, and Justin, Tom, Justin, uh, Dustin Johnson. And I think it would be, um, I think golf's ready for it. I know the fans are ready for it. I think it would create the kind of, you know, bonds and fun. Unfortunately, both of us now have pretty full schedules and we're rarely in the same even part of the states, let alone part of the world. But I think that uh, that's something that I, the good news for me is that both sides are really interested in trying to figure out. So that's a, it's a timely, timely response given this week. You got the uh, first ever LPGA sanctioned Vic Open yep. and uh, that's playing congruently with the European Tour uh where you've got one group of men followed by one group of women um throughout the two golf courses what has been the early feedback so far from it and uh you know your thoughts you know we've seen it you know we saw it last year and i remember it in a room just like we're sitting and talking about man that is really they are really on to something and we had talked to golf australia about joining it last year in 2018 but it was uh season wise it didn't fit for us right off the bat we started talking to them again in summer of 18 about 2019 and it really did fit it's um it's funny, we were talking about ideas that work and ideas that doesn't work. And I, and I always tell people that if if you evaluated my tenure at the LPJ on my first year of every new idea, people would say, my God, he's having a terrible run as commissioner, which they may say anyway. Um, and I always say, if you like the Vic Open, and I love it, don't evaluate it based on our first year there. Give me three or four years and watch what happens to that event. Because I really do believe we're on the brink of something really significant that's going to have more and more sponsors join the party, more and more TV uh, coverage join the party. I know that our our players from just from talking to them this week are really enjoying the experience. We really enjoyed the Pinehurst back-to-back -back U.S. Open. Just the interaction with the athletes is positive for both the men and the women. So um, I believe it's the start of what's going to be three or four of these over the next you know five or ten years. But Vic Open will be the one that really set the standard. And I think um, I think just sit back and watch that grow because the seeds of that thing is unbelievable. With a little bit of nourishment, I mean that thing's going to grow into something pretty powerful. I think it's reciprocal too. I, I I have a regular podcast with Jeff Ogilvie who's playing, um, and he was emailing me this week about you know how how cool it was, how excited he was to talk about the experience. And I think uh, from from what I had seen and saw uh, and heard from the coverage, I didn't watch all of it, but like they did a great job of showing like the men play through and then the women play through a hole or the women. And you could see the differences and you see how, 
how they, you know, the different games. And, and I think that's, it's such a cool fan experience too, because you're, you're all of a sudden exposed, like everything in life variety is so great. Oh, and yeah. it gives you variety at a sporting event, which is so rare because like, you know, it, as a fan, PGA Tour golf or, or LPGA, is, it becomes monotonous versus like you got to change up like, oh, who's in this group? Who's in this group? Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. I got an email from our lead official, our lead rules official from Australia on Tuesday. And she said, Mike, you would have loved to see today's practice rounds. Almost none, none of the groups in the practice round were all men or all women. They were all intermixed. Mm-hmm. And she said, we didn't set that up. That wasn't something that was posted in the locker room. It's just people were playing together, and it was really kind of a cool experience. I agree with your comment about variety. I mean, we um, we introduced four new events for 2019. Three of them are formats we've never played before. And, you know, I'll be honest. When I joined in 2010, I felt we needed to build enough of a stable schedule so that we could do other formats. Yeah, you have to provide enough of a routine schedule so that you can really identify who's the best golfer in the world at the end of that season. But at the same time, once we built a pretty strong and robust schedule, I felt like we both, we had both the freedom and the responsibility to bring different, not just for us or our fans, our players too. Our players like the variety. So we played the Diamond Resorts. We were playing with a bunch of former former and current athletes and country music singers and comedians. We're playing the Vic Open this week. We um, we watched what happened to the Zurich Classic on the men's tour, and I loved it. I loved it from the first time they had the, the teams to the last time. Whether or not that works long-term on the PGA Tour almost doesn't matter to me because I knew the day I saw it that would work for the LPGA. So together with Dow, we've launched that starting this year in 19. So I'm excited about the fact that, that we're growing our Michigan, schedule. Right? Yeah, Midland, Michigan. Yeah. And it's a two-person, you know, two-person team event, very similar to the Zurich Classic. In fact, we literally called the PGA tour when we saw the first one and said if you wouldn't mind sharing with us sort of all the all the the data you used and how does this really work how do you play for official money and fedex cup points in a team format because that's always been the hang-up on team is how can i make it be official if you if it's two of you and it wasn't all your performance and we walked through their thing we shared it with our board and said we think they're onto something and we literally stole the same logic they let us and uh, so we have 72 two-person teams starting at dow it's kind of cool at dow because it leads in to evian so it'll be a Saturday finish mm-hmm. and it'll be a Wednesday through Saturday. And even the Wednesday, I think I'll get more coverage than anything we've done before. That's a, a, the web has done some experiments with the, that Sunday through Wednesday. And I find myself, obviously, I, <laughs> I watch more golf than is really healthy for a human being. But I find myself like really glued to it. And I think it's not, especially if you played in an area where you can get the primetime window on those days. is like so massive the web obviously does it in jamaica where you don't get that but you know with like the world cup of watching primetime golf like this this winter when they were playing at metropolitan like found myself transfixed on golf in in december um <laughs> and it, it, it outside of the wednesday through saturday have you looked into do, ever thought like looked into doing like a sunday through wednesday type uh type of week it's a great question if you'd asked me in 2010 i would have told you our schedule would be almost all sunday through wednesdays because i needed to i needed to avoid the conflict the reality of it is if you go back to 2009 and 2010 we were the third most watched tour there was the there was the pga tour champions tour and then us and when you're the third most watched tour you spend your life primarily tape delayed at nine o'clock to 11 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock to 1 a.m and I just knew we couldn't live in that window. The good news for us is over the course of 2010 to kind of 2014, we quickly became the number two watched tour. So what that means is, is when the PGA Tour on a Saturday or Sunday flips over to network TV and that three to five or three to six window opens up on Golf Channel, 
the next best watch tour typically gets that window. That's now us. So the, here's my challenge is when I play a Wednesday to Saturday, I have a really good Wednesday. I mean, a, you know, we have a Wednesday that we wouldn't normally get, but a super Wednesday, I mean, a super Wednesday is worse than a really bad Sunday. And that's just a reality. And since, and since I don't lose Saturday and Sundays anymore, I have really good TV windows, it's really not for me. So if the web.com tour doing that totally makes sense. I would have been doing it too. But as we grew viewership and really kind of took off here in the States, we took that secondary spot. And um, it's just it's too good for me to pass up three to six on Saturday and Sunday of live TV because I can't make up for it on a really good Tuesday. That makes sense. Something I've admired, I and I think it is fascinating, is is you guys are are going to, you know, not the major metro markets, the the secondary metro markets, and then you see the crowds, and it's just unbelievable. Hey, how do you go about selecting cities um, that you're going to go with new events, or say a sponsor changes, you're going to need to move an event. Yeah, my players hate this, but when I when I admit it out loud, but there's not a map in my office with circles around certain markets. I mean, you can do that as a commissioner, but you quickly realize that that's that's generally time wasted. Um, I have gone to see so many sponsors that now have title tournaments. And when I went to see them, I thought I was going to work on a certain market. But at the end of the day, I've got to play events where I can have the greatest impact on that sponsor's business. And Eight out of 10 times, they'll tell me where that is, wherever they have all their suppliers coming together, wherever they have their national sales meetings, wherever they have the greatest customer, uh, wherever their business is expanding the fastest. So I might meet with HSBC in London thinking I'm going to have a London event, but we play the event in Singapore. I met with Chicago Merchandise Exchange thinking we were talking about Chicago, but my events in, in Naples. So um, the reality of it is I play where I can have the greatest impact on the check writer's business. But you're right. I mean, if you look at the LPGA's both history and current status, we're at our best when we're in those second and third kind of tier markets where we're not competing with, you know, yesterday's NBA game, tomorrow's Major League Baseball game and Sunday's NFL game. You know, those those markets get pretty um, saturated and spoiled, right? I mean, having the best 135 female golfers in the world roll into town is less of a big deal in New York than it is in Toledo. It's less of a big deal, you know, sometimes in London than it is in Thailand. So uh, we go to where we can really make the biggest splash. I mean, it blows people away that for the first time they'll travel with us to Asia. And if you open up the paper and in Taiwan, when we're playing, we're the first three pages of the sports section. Mm-hmm. We're the first story of sports at night on TV. And um, I think for people that follow the LPGA only in the States, they probably don't get that. But we go to where we can have the greatest impact. Since uh, coming on, we've already talked a little bit about it. But, you know, with sponsors, huge uptick in, in sponsorship and then also purses. And then the the viewership we've talked about, you got it moved up to into the second spot. So, you know, what... Taking those two, and I'm, I'm sure there are obviously major focuses always for your business. What What's the the big next biggest focus for you guys in 2019 and on? Yeah, so it, it's it's two, which is kind of a commissioner cop out. You never just give one answer. But, um, you know, for me, I, I told people when we started, we had to build a full schedule if we really wanted to build purses. For the last few years, we really haven't been making the schedule any bigger. We add new tournaments because we lose tournaments. But our number of about 34 events a year is kind of where we want to be. Um, but our real push has been in terms of growing, you know, uh, growing purses. So we're playing for enough money. I've always said, I don't need to grow huge purses so the richest player on tour can be a lot richer. But the difference right now between playing on the LPGA Tour and playing on the PGA Tour is if you finish 100th on the PGA Tour, you make a million dollars. If you finish 20th on the LPGA Tour, you make a million dollars. And um, and our travel expenses are 
are dramatic, you know? So to me, I want to make sure that if you're one of the best hundred female golfers in the world and you make it to this tour, which is not easy to make it to financially, you've got a good career. And I don't want to make it to, you got to be in the top 30 or 40 or 50 to have that answer. And to do that, I've got to build purses to a level where if you make it to the LPGA, it might not be easy to stay on the LPGA, but if you do, it's a quality income and a quality lifestyle. And quite frankly, if you're the best 100 anything in the world, you got to be able to figure out a way to to, uh, to, to make that worthwhile from a living perspective. So one is uh, purses. The other, which was related to that, is in the States, it's network TV. You know, right now, we're really lucky to have the Golf Channel as our partner. They, they produce almost 500 hours of TV a year. When I got here, we had a little less than 200. Now we have 500. It's almost all live. It used to be all tape delayed. And we produce that to 175 countries all over the world. So because we have that partner, the rest of the world watches us. And that's the great news for me. The bad news is Golf Channel is made up of guys like you, you know, that buy it. It's more men than women. It's, you know, golf fanatics. It's not Channel 4. It might be Channel 1184 in your local market. So people don't, people don't casually find their way into the LPGA. You don't stumble into the LPGA. My wife doesn't get to see the LPGA because she doesn't turn on the golf channel. So we've got to figure out a way. When I started, we had one network weekend. Now we have seven or eight. I should know that, but it's seven or eight. If we can get that seven or eight to 15 or 16 and play about half the time on some network TV during the weekend, we become more of a water cooler sport. We're less of a niche sport. We become part of ESPN's top 10 and, and, and the discussion happening on Fox Sports. Otherwise, we kind of live in a smaller niche, smaller audience, mostly male, watches us every week. And that's great. I love that audience. But if I was a better partner to the, to the Golf Channel, I would spend some time on network, attract an audience that doesn't watch us all the time and bring them back to the Golf Channel. I feel like the PGA Tour does that for the Golf Channel and we don't. And if we can do that, that not only makes us a better sport, but also changes the financial portfolio for our players as well. If you're a top player on tour and your hat is on Golf Channel 30 weeks a year, that's worth one thing. If your hat's on Golf Channel 15 weeks a year and 15 weeks a year on NBC, that's worth four times more. With the with the decline in TV and the rise in streaming, have you guys thought about anything, any sort of streaming product that might be available on Netflix where, you know, in contrast to Golf Channel, the demographics completely switched. Yeah, I think the uh, the good news for us is the rise in streaming hasn't really hurt our overall viewers. I think we had so much room to grow on from a baseline that we've been continuing to growing, even though I think some other sports have, have, have seen the hit of the last five or six years. I think only in 2018 is the first time we really started incorporating streaming numbers just to know, and we're surprised how good those are. I think you'll see uh, you'll see an, in, an influence in streaming on the LPGA telecast, not only in the States, but certainly around the world. There are certain countries they just don't televise women's golf. They don't televise golf, and they certainly don't televise much women's golf, and they'll become definitely a Netflix-like to your to your comment, there'll be a subscriber-based opportunity for that that you'll see roll around the world, and we'll be part of a lot of those places. I think in the states, it'll probably be a combination of our TV partner and some of their streaming work. It may not be a, a TV partner and us doing streaming on the side. We, I've always believed that you know you um, you partner with people to do what they do for a living, and we do what we do for a living. I want to find a media partner, and I have one. You know, that uh, that this is what they do for a living. And then together, I want to be their incubator. When they want to try something new, I want to be the first brand they think about trying it with. That's, yeah, that's a good good uh, mentality to have. Do what you do well. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, so it, speaking of big platforms, the Olympics obviously gave you guys a massive platform. Would you say biggest platform you've ever had? I would say not just for the LPGA. It was the largest 
uh, congregation of casual golf fans watching golf in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Did you see, was there an impact that from like the long tail of, of that, did you see a spike in, in women's golf viewership after and, and carry on afterwards? You know, it's funny. Um, long answer to your question, but when I got to Rio and sat in my first press conference, the first question was, Commissioner, how great is this going to be for women's golf? And what's the podium lineup that would be best for you at the end of the, at the end of the tournament? And I remember saying, you know, guys, it really doesn't matter what happens in Rio. The Olympic movement, if you will, I mean, that, that term, I never knew what that term was, but I lived it. In 2009, when golf was, was, was entered into the Olympics, the Olympic movement began, and countries all around the world started investing in golf. And when you invest in golf, you invest in women's golf. And so we went from countries who viewed golf as a rich, elitist, uh, old man sport to what they call podium sports. I heard this term all around the world, podium sports. And what I mean is, if you're a sport that might be on a podium with our flag one day, the government invests in you. If you're not, you're just a sport and good luck to you. And we were just a sport before that. So what I saw is driving ranges and golf schools and, and, and world-renowned teachers opening up uh, teaching facilities to young girls all over the world that didn't exist just 10 years before that. So by the time we got to the Olympics, we'd already won. Women's golf had already won and golf was really taken off all over the world. The fact is, you know, then to your question about TV ratings, here's a good example. So Envy Park from Korea wins the gold medal. A year before that, she was playing to win her fourth major in a row. I mean, the greatest historic move in the world. And, and when she did that in Korea, we had an eight rating. And an eight rating is, you know, that's, that's Tiger Woods worthy rating in her home country. When she won the Olympics in the middle of the night, by the way, in Korea, it was a 24.1 rating. So, I mean, this is the difference between playing for the Olympics. As Inby said to me, I wasn't really famous in Korea until I won the gold medal, and now I'm famous in Korea. Um, you know, same thing was true, you know, on the, on the men's side. You know, we got players that won majors and had 10 times the viewership in their home country when they stood on the podium of the Olympics. So I think, you know, people forget what an incredible viewing audience that the Olympics delivers. And the good news for us is the majority of that audience didn't really pay attention to golf before that. And we've seen that lag effect in all of our international countries since, not just for viewership, but more importantly, for investment in the game. And so this whole Olympic movement thing, it's real. I didn't buy it. When I started in 2010, my first Olympic board meeting, I said to Tim Fincham, do we really need golf in the Olympics? Like we're we're good, right? Like I was totally clueless. And he said to me, Mike, you know, it's funny, Mike, I used to think that too, but watch it for a few years and let's talk again. I never brought it up with him again because I saw what he knew and that the movement that was happening worldwide was powerful. Yeah. I, I, the Olympic gold medal, medal, I mean, it's huge. It's, you even see with like guys that skeet shooters, you know, <laughs> like a skeet shooter becomes a, you know, a famous person because he, you know, he or she won uh, gold medal. It, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, if you had it your way, what would the Olympic format be? <laughs> well, that's sort of unfair since I sit on the IGF board, but um, it would be. So my personal preference is not to have a format, but to have multiple formats. When mm-hmm. I turn on the TV during the Olympics, I see Michael Spitz swim every night for a medal. This night he swam at the butterfly. The next time it's the IM. Then he swims the free. Um, they bring the same number of athletes. They just swim for six different medals, and they swim for a different medal every night. I'd like to see some stroke play that's shortened amount of stroke play for the men and the women. And right in the middle of that, I'd have a men and women team competition for country that could be stroke play, could be match play. But um, I would rather we play for four or five different Olympic stages 
over the course of the same two weeks with the same number of athletes. Why not have uh, Lexi Thompson trying to win the individual stroke play on Saturday? And on Monday, she's partnered with um, with Ricky, and they're trying to win for U.S. in that play. And then maybe Ricky's doing something on Tuesday when Lexi's gone. I don't. Um, I feel like we almost are limiting ourselves by bringing all these athletes together in this incredible format, and we have one podium moment. I agree with the team and the individual thing, and I I looked into it, and I think both on the in the men's and women's game, there's like more than four players from over thirty countries in the top fifteen hundred in the world. It's like it's not a, a lack of players right. issue. I think the challenge is, and it's a fair challenge, is if you're going to give a gold medal out, should you win a gold medal for individual stroke play that's less than four days? Or, or, or does that somehow devalue it relative to winning the Open Championship or Augusta? And if four days, 72 holes is kind of how we value the best of the best, and that's how the cream really rises to the top, then if you played a 54 holes or less individual, would it be a lessened achievement? Um, I don't agree with that, but I know that there's some people that feel that way, and I get that. You know, so I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, it's a, um, there's a lot of different voices. I think right now the best thing is golf's in the Olympics and will continue to be in the Olympics, and we delivered. I mean, we weren't a, a tertiary sport when we showed up our, our ratings our social followings the media we brought the, the the quality of fields were really super high and we really delivered back to the ioc just like they delivered back to us so i think the good news is i think golf and the olympics are going to be partnered together for a long time and we really do bring a world sport and a world following i remembered somebody um not with the ioc but an olympic employee said to me how many countries are here this week for the women i, I forget what we had like 34 countries and he says wow how cool is it commissioner that you get to show up an event that has 34 countries and i said well there'll be 34 countries at my event next week too but i understand if you don't follow golf all the time you may not grapple with how how global it is and not every sport in the olympics delivers that amount of worldwide both attention and participation so we really felt like and i really think it's true that we belonged it wasn't um we didn't feel like we had a sponsor invite into the olympics when we walked in there we really felt like we were as global as anybody else I think the other thing is the competition's really equitable among those 34 countries too. Like you could look at down the list and almost anybody could win. Yeah, it's um it's uh it's fun. I mean especially on the women's side. I think the men's side was just as impressive, but on but on the women's side, you know, we um like I said if you take the top 15 Rolex ranked players, you probably have 10 countries in those top 15. So we're we're already borderless. I mean, the women's game has long since left the left the station, and it is a worldwide game. And the best in the world come from all over the world. Yes, there's a lot of great players from Korea, a lot of great players from Japan, a lot of great players from from America, and they probably lead in terms of countries. But there's also great players from from countries that ten years ago women didn't even play golf there. So we've talked a, a little bit about uh, sponsorship in comparison to sponsorship. How difficult is it to find like or get the venue you want once you have a sponsor? Uh, I don't think that, I don't think I've ever found a venue difficulty hard. I mean, the reality is some of the best venues in the world have a price tag for what they think that's worth. Some of the best venues in the world have just decided they'll only host something once every decade. And if it's not a major, they're not interested. That's certainly their prerogative. I mean, it's their golf course, not mine. But um well, I think we've generally played either where we want to play or where we can afford to play. I mean, sometimes the price tag is is too significant. Like I said, and some courses are just saying not interested unless it's a you know unless it's a major and you're going to come once and not come again for thirty years. So, um, but there's um, but there's certainly courses we'd like to play and haven't played yet, and I think we will in time. In my ten years at, at 
at on tour watching what's happened to our major venues has been really fun to watch i mean we um you know we used to play the lpga championship at places we could play now together with kpmg and the pga of america we're only playing venues that have hosted a men's major or a Ryder cup i mean we're you know we're you know from olympia fields you know to kemper to you know hazeltine uh to baltus Rawl. i mean we're you know best of the best watching what same thing has happened in the u.s open i mean I remembered saying one time when I first got here to the United States uh, Golf Association Committee, will we be part of a Pebble Beach Olympic, you know, kind of rotation? And and we weren't then in terms of we weren't on the plan. But those are all things that are happening in the in the in the years coming. So I think if you're a young, you know, 22 year old LPGA player and you're looking out at major venues, same has happened overseas. You know, when we're talking about the best of the best, you know, playing St. Andrews and, and, uh, and, and playing the courses you grew up watching the men play the British open. Uh, that's where we're going now. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a great time to be a young LPJ pro as it relates to playing venues that you grew up watching men only play. Mm-hmm. How's the, how's the venue selection? How does the process go? Like say, say you get a new event and you're, you're a city, like what, how do you guys go about figuring out what your priority list is? I, I'm, I've never even thought to ask this. Well, totally different if you're talking about a major versus a regular event. And a major, generally speaking, the you know the major person is out. The RNA is out looking for the yeah, USGA is looking for, for the British. If it's a regular tour event, it's a combination of two things. First, you know, like I said, the marketplace is determined by where we can have the greatest impact for that sponsor. Um, and then after that, we'll talk about the uh, the options and the prices, right? So when I met with Chicago Merchandise Exchange, and I thought we were talking about a Chicago event, and he said. I bring my 300 biggest customers every year to Naples, Florida. Would you play in Naples? I said, I play where you play. You know, so we go to Naples, Florida. When we went to Naples, Florida, initially, a couple of the courses we wanted to play weren't available in the dates that we, because we had to play around their conference. Uh, and when those, when those became available, we moved too. So, you know, playing at the Ritz was important to them because they do all their work at the Ritz with their customers. We wanted to make it easy for his top 300 customers to be part of the program, part of the tournament. So we play at the Ritz. Um, that probably isn't the least expensive expensive place for us to play in Naples, but it works the best for our sponsor. We had the money in the, in the, in the budget to do it. And so we get, we work it out that way. But a lot of them are, like I said, they're really about where the tournament and the customer feel best fits their needs. Sometimes it's all about how many people can we get in here? Cause it's all about a big hometown event. Sometimes it's all about the pro-am experience and what they could do from the pro-am. And sometimes they look at us and say the best, the best course you can get on in this market. Obviously for us, we don't struggle with some of the things the PGA Tour. We want to play 6,500, 6,600 yards. Almost every course we go to and we say, what's 6,500 yards? They'll say, well, those are our blue tees or, or something along those lines. But generally speaking, we're playing the golf course the way it was originally designed, and that makes it both easy and enjoyable for us. Yeah, I, I think it would be I, – I, I'm, a, I'm a classic course, uh, you know, I love it. And I, I, one of the things that really draws me to the LPGA is your guys' ability to play classic golf courses at the regular, the regular tees, the, the original, way they were designed, original intended tees. And then also the game is much, it fits much more of the architecture that was intended. You know, the fairway the bunkers tra- are an yeah. actual hazard. I mean, the, you actually yeah. have to avoid them, not fly over them. Angles matter. Trajectory, yeah. because the trajectory and the spins are lower. So all of a sudden being on the right side of a fairway or the wrong side of the fairway yeah. really, really matters. And then also, you know, the women are so good. Their dispersion patterns are so small so tight. Yep. that they can actually aim for an, an, and play to get an angle into a green. So I, I, I mean, I'd personally love to see 
some sort of, and I, I talked with Jeff Ogilvie on, on pod a few podcasts ago, some sort of, you know, club to step up and, and become the Augusta national of, you know, the LPGA where, you know, whether it be, you know, a great Northeast club, that's got a unbelievable classic course that says, Hey, yeah. we know that, you know, the, ga- the, the men's game is long gone, but we like, we want to showcase the great golf course we have. And, and I think that there's a major opportunity in, in the, in the women's game to, because it's so much more relatable to the, the every, every, every golfer. I think you'll see, especially over the next five or six years, KPMG and PGA of America have, uh, have, have filled a lot of that void. I mean, Aronimac and Baltusrol and Hazeltine. I mean, you're going to see us go into places and play, to your point, play the original tees, you know, and play that golf course the way. And I, I think, to your point, there's, there's that list can keep growing. I'd almost rather see what we're doing with KPMG than just one location because mm-hmm. we, um, we'd like to hit a lot of them as opposed to just one of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. For for a rotating sponsor, it, it's obviously got to be a really big company, right? That's got yeah, it's it's know. a big number because you have to you can't go build local sales like we just went and built a bunch of local sales in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then the next week next year it's in Minnesota, so you kind of start all over again. So it's a little bit more of an effort to rotate an event, but um, but because the PGA of America and the KPMG are so committed to this thing and and growing this thing as the major as they have, it's really created something pretty special for us. And so now, if you think about it, three of our majors rotate to um, to three really incredible you know venues each year. Yeah, um, so. All of golf is is getting younger. Um, what are the unique challenges of of marketing younger players? It's not just marketing younger players. It's it's there's some unique challenges from a lifestyle perspective. We don't. Um we don't play 42 events in America. So once you figure out America, then you're good to figure out travel. Uh, you know, we play in 16, 17 different countries every year. So you're talking about a 20, 21, 22 year old kid landing in Thailand and we play two hours from the Bangkok airport. And then, you know, do you, you know, are you trying to rent a car in Australia? And I try to figure out a shuttle bus in Taiwan. Um, you know, all of our pro-am parties are, are alcohol related, right? There's alcohol in these pro-am parties. And, um, you know, you're playing with guys my age, right? It's 50 year old men. And it's little things, but, you know, different security for us is a little different. You know, we, we probably have, uh, you know, more stalker related things than they might have in, a, in other sports. We try to be really accessible and make sure that the ropes are are, are not so far away on the LPGA, but at the same time, you know, job number one is safety and security of these athletes. So, you know, you're, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little different. People say to me all the time, like, you know, why, why would you turn down that petition of that 16 year old player? Who's obviously a good golfer. And I've said, you know, being on the LPGA tour is about more than just good golf. And it's uh, you know, it's a pretty grown up thing. And, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, 30 years ago, you could play on the LPGA and, and never get out of your car. Today, you couldn't play two events and probably stay in your car. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a bit different. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is what's really happening in youth, and I see it happen every day, is used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you would make it to the LPGA. And when you made it to the LPGA, you learned about diet. You, you learned about physiotherapists. You learned about great coaches. All of a sudden, you met some of the best coaches in the world. Um, you learned about stretching. You learned about sleep. 
Um, and all that stuff really became aware to you as a professional. That's the stuff you learned as a professional. Today, athletes are learning that at 11 and 12 and 13. Great coaches, great th- physios. They know how to eat already. They know how to stretch. It's um, By the time they show up at our level, they've had all that training and it's all second nature. And that's why you're seeing people win at a much younger age, especially on the LPGA, because what used to take place in your 20s is taking places in your early teens. And so those things are all second nature to you. And so the, the learning curve is happening before they even get to us. It has become a much more of an athletic game over the you know last twenty years. Where, yeah, no doubt. And if it, if it's an athletic game, then the younger you know the prime of a player is younger, so yeah. it coincides with that. Um, so <clears throat> I got to ask, you're commissioner of uh, one of the big <laughs> organizations. Did you watch the match? I did not watch the match. Unfortunately, it wasn't a match thing. The match happened the week after our season ended. Mm-hmm. I don't watch golf for about a month after our season ends. I mean, so the only way a, to stay sane. Nice, uh, off season. Well, the only way to stay sane in this job is you got to shut it down. I am not a wraparound fan, not because it probably wouldn't be great for the LPJ. I'm not sure I could survive it. You know, I, I do go to our events and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling a lot. And, you know, like our players, I need to set it down for a month too. So the match happened, if I remember right, the match was, was it Thanksgiving? It was, it was the Friday of Thanksgiving. Because we play the weekend before Thanksgiving is our CME group tour championship in Naples. Mm-hmm. I drive home that Monday when that event's over and I play a lot of golf. I don't watch any golf. I don't watch Golf Central. I don't read the media for probably about a month. It's the only, like I said, it's the only way to stay sane. I would have watched it. I mean, I, to me, anything new in golf is worth is worth it to me. I don't, I'm not sure how it went or didn't go. I didn't watch any, I didn't watch any tape delayed versions of it, but um, I, I hope that no matter how good or how bad it was, it doesn't stop us from trying new things because which when you stop, I, I said this many times when I got here and introduced a fifth major, you know, everybody was sure I was the antichrist and I was killing golf and how could he be doing that? And I remember saying in one ESPN interview, Hey, I don't know how you guys reacted when they added a, a three, a, a three point a line in, in basketball or a 24 second shot clock, um, you know, or baseball changed, you know, to a different uh, ball where we, we got rid of the, we got, we added the designated hitter. I know all those things were sacrilege. I remember sitting there listening to a guy argue about interleague play in baseball. And I was going to kill baseball. I remember thinking, my gosh, I mean, it's just playing another team. And I think if you're not willing to change, you're just in the beginning of the end. You're just becoming a dinosaur and you don't know it. So golf's got to be willing to take some chances and they're not all going to work. It's the same thing we talked about in the beginning, whether the match was good or the match was bad, I hope next year they add a, they add two women to the match mm-hmm. and have you know have Phil be uh, Danielle Kang's partner and have Michelle Wee be Tiger's partner and uh, I'll break my off season no watching habits. Yeah, that's uh, you know the only guys that yeah, we don't get an off season media. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, that's that's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> I was talking with my <laughs> wife last night about it. I was like, I really need an off season. She's yeah. like. It's really a shame that golf never stops. My wife would be the first one that would turn off golf in the first month of my off season. I mean, she knows. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a job that doesn't stop, right? It's always, as my wife says, it's always noon somewhere. You know, we finish dinner in which he's talking to China. And if he's done talking to China, he's talking to Korea. And when Korea goes to sleep, Australia wakes up. Yeah, and so it's, uh, it's just a job that's hard to turn off. Um, but when we get to that off season, it's, uh, it's a break you just got to take. I didn't even think about the unique challenges of the, with the LPGA being so international as you just, you're, you're on everybody else's time zone. Yeah, I remember what she said to me one time, this is when I first taken the job, who can you talk to at five in the morning? Because I'll like go out in the back patio and I'll be talking. I'm like, hey, at five in the morning is a really good time to try to talk to Australia right before they go to bed, you know? Yeah. And um, 
it's just yeah it's that's the that's the the good and the bad of the job is it's uh there's it, you, you can always be doing it so if you don't if you don't take a break you, it'll it'll tear you down yeah they, uh, it's a, innovation i think is, is so necessary i think it would be really cool to see the match i, I know they're going to do another one but see it with add add women do it add more players to it because the one thing it from my standpoint, suffered was the dead air time. You know, that's the that problem right? with two people yeah. walking around a golf course. You guys yeah. don't have a match play event. You know, we don't. We had a match play event uh, right up until a few years ago, and we've uh, we will have another match play. Whether it'll be as we were talking before, whether it'll be the classic eighteen hole matches, sixty four players going down to uh, maybe. Uh, but if I have my way, it'll be something a little. It'll be something a little. Uh, it'll be an offshoot of that to maybe something a little different. So Brooks Kepka's been mouthing off about slow play you ever uh think about doing a shot clock event like the european tour did i think if you get down to a shot clock it becomes more gimmicky than it becomes what you were trying to do i mean uh, we, we don't publicize our our fines and penalties a year mm-hmm. but i would just tell you that we have them every year i don't know if yeah. every other tour um would say the same but um um we uh we penalize slow play and, and players know we penalize slow play. Sometimes we've done it pretty publicly and it, you know, it causes the same stir one way or the other, but um, we don't go after slow play because I'm so worried about what it means to the viewers at home or what it means to players. I think if you're a slow player, um, it's an unfair uh, disadvantage sometimes to players who's not. And so it's more about creating a yeah. competitive set where everybody's on the same stage because a player who plays a little faster, you know, can really be at a disadvantage there. So to us, I mean, the, the slow play thing is about, I mean, honestly, somebody said to me before, why don't you have a rules official in every group? Well, I don't really need that yeah. for penalties, for penalties of drops and that kind of stuff. The only way I'd ever get to that is just to make sure that play is, is consistent. I, I think it's unreasonable to think I have all my buddies I mean, you know, Mike, you and I play golf in four hours and one minute or three hours. We played in three hours and 30 minutes today. We did that, but I didn't put too many four footers. He knocked a lot of them back to me and none of my four footers were for 120 grand. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's unrealistic to think you're going to put 144 people on a golf course where even if they play fast, they're going to get stuck at the turn anyway. Um, but, you know, can, you know, but we've proven we can play in four and a half hours and knowing that we can means that's doable and something we want to keep pushing for. There's also certain golf courses we play where playing in less than five hours is just not going to happen for all kinds of reasons but making sure we're playing that course in a consistent pace so every player at least gets a consistent experience has got to be a consistent goal and we're you know we're willing to penalize to do that so i had never thought about this before the whole thing recently happened with uh with brooks and and bryson but hitting a golf shot quickly is kind of a skill so like tom brady what his greatest skill is getting, getting rid of the, the ball line and audibling within the sh- within the game clock. Right? We're Chicago guys. We can't talk about Tom Brady. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he gets the line, yeah. audibles. He audibles quicker and more efficiently than any other quarterback, and he's rewarded for it. If, if there wasn't a game clock, he that skill would be mitigated. Would he be the greatest quarterback of all time? We don't know. But to a certain extent, being a golfer, being able to read the lie, determine the lie, read a putt quickly is a skill. Yeah. And like right now, without any sort of enforcement of slow play, that skill is minimized. Yeah, but I think when you're saying without any kind of enforcement of slow play, I don't think you're talking about the LPGA. Yeah, that could I mean, be it. Let's, trust yeah. me, any player on any tour, and certainly on ours too, mm-hmm. would say we should be playing faster, and I, don't, I wouldn't disagree with her. But right. I, also, uh, I also would tell you without any hesitation that 
uh, slow play, not penalized LPGA tour. Not true. Couldn't you get away with it? Of course you can. Yeah. I mean, you can't, can't watch all 144 or 156 at all times, but, um, there's there's certainly a a number of players who, if they were honest with you, could tell you about being penalized in 2018. And I, like I, you know, I play tournament golf. I I'm sure I've taken a lot of time to hit certain shots. And there's always op- different situations that require more time. It's just a fascinating thing, an aspect that I never thought about really. But it was you know that happened coinciding with Tom Brady making this run, and it just clicked in my head. It's like wait. That might might make sense to have something. Yeah, I don't. You know, I, mean, I think the good news about Tom Brady is I don't think it's the shot clock that he's getting rewarded for. He's not getting sacked yeah. when he gets rid of the ball. But I think to your point, um, you know, there's we like I said, if you're going to create a fair environment, you got to create the you got to create the opportunity to play. It's funny. I've uh, I've asked my rules group, and I've never really followed up, but I might do it this off season. Is when players are on the clock. Mm-hmm. And they know that they essentially have the time to hit the shot. Generally speaking, everybody plays faster when they're on the clock. I really want to track whether or not the player's average score on the clock is better or worse. My hunch is that the players play a little bit better on the clock than when they don't, but I'm not sure if that's true. I think I remember seeing something from the shot clock event that guys that scoring was better. Is that right? Yeah. I would just be curious because we can we can track players mm-hmm. and just say was their average score you know, uh, better on the clock than not. But the reality of it, like I said, I think for fans at home, and I've, you know, I've, I've listened to and called in the radio shows and everything else. I get it at home. You can yeah. play in three hours and 20 minutes. Um, but I'm a hundred percent certain if I made you play every shot from every lie and I added 143 people in that field and told you you were playing for two and a half million dollars, your 320 is 420 right now. I, and then I we, you know, then we that. go from there. But here's another wrinkle to it. Don't you think that the TV television would be able to provide much better product if there was a shot clock uh maybe as long as we didn't turn the tv telecast into the shot clock like i said at some point i think like when i remember when basketball went to the shot clock the shot clock became the thing you were watching as now it's back to i'm watching an offensive play and oh yeah occasionally i'll look over there and see where we are in the shot clock if there was such a thing we'd have to get to that but i think again if you have one if you have one arena and 34 and 34 34 cameras faced in that one arena and one ball in play those things are a lot interesting. When you have six miles and 156 players, what sounds like a really interesting thing for the match isn't really realistic for a, a tournament. I completely, I think bashing golf coverage is the hardest <laughs> <It's> sport <laughs> to cover. And, but I think if you had a shot clock, all of a sudden, I think where golf coverage goes bad is when you cut to a player and there's two minutes of nothing. Yeah, and that generally happens more, and like I said, more of an LPGA problem than somebody else's problem because we have, uh, you know, we have half the cameras of a PGA Tour event. So the PGA Tour, you know, producer is looking at their screen and they don't have much downtime. They can always flip to a shot. In our case, we're generally following three groups, and then we have the tower cameras. Yeah. And about, among those three groups, you could have all of them standing still at an individual time. And so when somebody says to me, "Geez, your coverage isn't as good as the PGA Tour," I'd say I, I can't argue that because if I had twice as many cameras, I would have better coverage. But there's a budget limit to everything we do. Exactly. There's, there's well, our budgets aren't the same. Also, it's like right, response. right. It's uh, if you were you know fan of golf. Someone who's, you know, never say the non-major LPGA event, one event, you got to pick one. What would you recommend? 
Well, I just came from the Diamond Resorts, so I would say go to the Diamond Resorts. Uh, one, you'll see how good our players are, and you'll see it right up against. I mean, because I saw some phena- phenomenal male athletes who play a lot of golf, and there were some plus ones, plus twos in that group playing too. And watching how much they were paying attention to how how well we played. I mean, our players clearly, you know, shine in that event. It's also you see the interaction. Our players enjoy playing with them. They enjoyed the crowd. But that would be a great um, that'd be a great starter kit. I think once you went to Diamond Resorts, you'd say to yourself. I'm going to go watch more LPGA events. You might go there thinking you're going to go watch Toby Keith or you're going to go watch Larry the Cable Guy, but I promise you're going to end up you're going to end up watching Christy Kerr and Danielle Kang and So Yun Yu and then and then it'll lead to more things. With setup week in week out, how does how how does that work with the tour? Do you, do you guys have like a, a scoring range that you like to be in, or does it does it not matter? Um, you know, we're not uh, we're not sitting in the booth going, you know, how do we get to nine under? You know, what we're just trying to do is set up the golf course so it's challenging. And every week it's different. Depends on rain, hardness, you know, what we have the wind happening that week. But we're trying to create variety in the golf course, you know, variety for the players. And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to separate between 144 players and the best. So it's um, it's funny. I have sponsors that will say to me, Mike, I want minus nine. to I want high single digits. And I'm always saying, you know, I love you. You're probably really good at your job, but that's not happening here this week. You know, you got to sit back and enjoy the enjoy the game and i to me i mean i don't care if 31 under wins or three under wins as long as we've created a golf course that's going to separate and figure out who's the best player this week and quite frankly i like 30 under more than i think all the other fans do we had an event last week where i think 30 or last year were 31 under one and but but i enjoyed watching players in a flat out shootout like if you weren't birdieing you were going home um, and you know, get it. I get it. I like watching majors too, where they're going to grind over every putt and a bogey's a good score, but I don't like that week in and week out. I mean, I, I can be, I, I enjoy being miserable on a golf course. I don't enjoy watching somebody else be miserable on a golf course. There's this, there's like a paradox of par too. There's a, I just read this paper that was done on, you know, there's an academic paper and they looked at the, the U S open men's at Oakmont and Pebble beach. And they looked at par fives that were turned into par fours. And what they saw was that the scoring average was actually lower, same exact hole, as a par five than a par four. Is that right? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Because like what happened was... Everybody had to go for it right on, on the, the par four. Yeah. You got but, your hybrid in. And if you'd have gone seven iron wedge, you'd have been better off. Yeah. So yeah. so this like whole idea of like, well, they're 31 under. Well, like, you just changed par. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, they probably play worse. Yeah. It's like what the study proved. And, and there's a lot of samples that proved it out. Interesting. So like par doesn't really matter yeah. in, in like the greatest sense of, given that study. So I, yeah, I think scoring... Uh, if they shoot 31 under 30, they shoot 31 under. I think majors worry about it. Yeah. Um, probably more so. And I mean, I'm trying to think even in our, like we don't grind over it a day in inspiration, but you know, do we, do we, we think more about, you know, the scores, I think at a major week than we do any other week. But that being said, I mean, I've said this many times, you know, I don't remember what Rory shot when he was at, um, Hoy, Hoy Lake. And I mean, it was like 16 under yeah. 18 under. I mean, it was, it was a, you know, it was, it was going low. I don't consider that any less of an open championship. In fact, I loved it. You know I mean? It was a great, and at the same time, somebody might go three, three under cause the wind's blowing. I think the whole focus on the number sometimes gets us away from, you know, the bottom line, if you're going to win a tournament or a major, you're going to be the best golfer there that week. And you're going to have to beat the conditions, whatever those conditions are. And if it takes, if it takes 22 under to win or two under to win, I'm, I'm not sure we need to get so wigged out about that. I think, yeah, I think the focus should almost be on separate, like, can can the best players separate themselves no from like that? And you saw it like with the the Phil Stenson match, 
where you know the, the next guy was like yeah, 10, they, 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 they were the 10, field. Yeah, yeah the open they were like 10 shots clear of the next player but yep. like that that golf course clearly clearly rewarded in the setup rewarded the two best players that week yep. and that's it's a that's the type of you know i think that should be the focus much more than score yeah i think a lot of times the the tournaments remember the score but nobody else does if you asked me you know what was uh, somebody's score last year when she what was you know Corda's yeah. score when she won a Thailand and her sister's score when she won a Taiwan I have no idea you know I remember their wins I remember kind of how they won but I certainly don't remember the score but you know maybe the maybe the local operator does or the title sponsor I don't know certainly I'm sure the the greenskeeper from that golf course remembers but um it's not what makes the event great so if you could bring one say one uh women's player from the past back and put her on the tour because of her like personality and game who would it be god i mean I, i've got thousands to choose from but i just talked to nancy lopez yesterday so i did because nancy is she's a she's a just hit play person you know i'd say to nancy i'm going to meet with this sponsor and if you could and, and i'll give her like a five minute thing and she go okay and i know when she means okay that means she's done and i could just walk in and hit play and nancy just she just gets it i mean she's just from the very beginning she she understands their business more than her business she wants to make sure that whatever we do it works for them as i've heard her say to other players before as long as this works for them we'll be playing playing here for a long time so let's not worry so much about about us that's um you know that is uh that is home run but i honestly could could rattle off a bunch of players who get that i mean i mean every time we go to the founders cup and we bring out some, some of the players who played before i mean patty sheehan could give a could give a could give a clinic in this you know uh pat bradley you know could give a clinic big in this mama. you know big mama is is the you know is the clinic in this and it's just they understand that i mean as as one player as one player on the legends tour said to me wednesday's payday you know it's payday for you we'll play over the weekend for our payday but we got to make sure we deliver their payday and that's just a mentality that i hope we never lose if lpga was a stock market you know what's what's one name that the general public maybe not have heard of that you'd be you'd be investing in the in the early futures on you're talking about players yeah yeah there's nothing nothing quicker to, to, to shorten the life of the commission when we start picking out players because uh, um, it doesn't go over well yeah. in player dining <laughs> later but there's um i think there's uh, there's five or six players that might be falling under the radar of the american like i remember playing in a tournament a, a program with minji lee a couple years ago and i said to my group later get to know her story and they said why i said because she's going to be the number one player in the world and she was probably 20 at the time i mean not she might have been 20 years old but she was also 20 in the world rankings but i just said you know i just played with a player who has every shot in the bag who has a who has a great mind for the game that kid's gonna sit on top of the world rankings i remember saying the same thing about so young you you know, 10 years ago, you know, I mean, you play with somebody that, um, that you just see it like it's, it's all there, the hunger, the ability, you know, the, the game it's, um, when you, when you see it, I, I remember, I, I remember I met Danielle Kang when she was an amateur and thinking, okay, that kid's gonna, that kid's gonna win a lot of events at the LPJ level. And uh, so we got to figure out her story now because we're going to be telling her story for a long time. I would say the, uh, the, the easiest stock purchase right now would probably be Nelly Corda. Yeah. It's, um, you know, there's, it's just the whole package, right? Great, great athlete anyway, in a, in a family that's, that's, you know, that's built great athletes with a swing that's, uh, that's unbelievable. And I don't think a lot rattles her. If it does, I don't see it come out. And, um, and she's got a great support system between her, her brother, her sister, her mom and dad. They, um, they really get it. I mean, her dad made those kids put down their golf clubs a lot. They don't play 
all the events all the time because he wants them to, you know, enjoy their life and be hungry when they're out there. So um, I remember seeing it. I mean, Jessica was one of the first players who petitioned me as a commissioner when she was not yet 18. And it was one of the first, maybe the first petition I approved in my tenure. And then I watched her sister go through the same thing. They're, they're an easy stock purchase. That's uh, the, the, your answer tied perfectly back to the start of the conversation where we, uh, how cool it would be if Minji and Min Woo got to play together in a team, yeah. uh, you know, PGA or European Tour LPGA no sanctioned doubt. event. Yeah. Like that would be. Yeah, think of a World Cup with men and women, and yeah. that'd be really kind of cool. Yeah. So I, we we got. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, excited to do a lot more LPGA coverage this year and uh, and see you around the around the tour. But uh, it, it, we can follow you guys follow you on on Twitter. I know you're you're active there and uh, the LPGA tour as well as a lot of the the players. So yeah, don't follow me. Follow the players. Yeah. They're they're interesting. I'm corporate, but um, but yeah, I mean I follow them for the same reason too. I mean as a golfer, I enjoy seeing what our players are up to. Yeah. So um, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for the time. Thanks for covering us. We appreciate it. Uh-huh.